Well, good morning, East Tennessee. I am Scott Brokamp, founder and co-owner of His Security and Technology. And, uh, well, if it sounds like I'm calling you from the nice, warm confines of my comfy bed, well, I am. I'm sure uh, you, much like myself, I wish that I was not. I wish that I was not at home uh, after Mother Nature's wonderful game of home hostage. Hopefully this will end this coming week, but I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad you're here. And uh, well, you know what, as they say, the show must go on and we're making it happen. So today we have uh, a great show put together for you. We will all just be, well, doing it in the old days with a traditional conference call as we may. With all the snow and ice, well, I definitely just recommend that to you call ahead if you've got anywhere to go. Make sure that it's open, but just stay in. Stay safe. These roads are still just atrocious out there. Uh, the men's basketball team does take on Alabama today at Food City Center. Tip-off is at 2 o'clock. Campus roads and parking lots are clear, but, well, you need to use directions getting out of your own neighborhood to get there. You can always enjoy the game on our sister station, WIVK, the flagship station of the Vol Network. If you're just dying for something to do, you can always check out uh, not visitknoxville.com. That's visitknoxville.com. Or check out wvlt.tv for the latest closings and cancellations. Well, again, we are obviously going to have a great show for you in store today. But did you know the start of the new year often means the end of many marriages in the United States? I guess we tend to stick it out through Christmas just to avoid ruining the holidays. Well, and then maybe file for a divorce afterwards. January is coming to be known as Divorce Month, which as a child of a divorced family, I hate to hear that. According to Kippingler report titled Happy New Year's, Let's Get a Divorce. There is a movement among professionals to spread awareness of the effects that divorce can have on kids, and they have declared January to be International Child-Centered Divorce Month. Here to tell us more about this very important topic are attorney Shelly Breeding and family counselor Dana Vince. They're joining us by phone this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for uh, well your your willingness to uh, uh, just adjust to the circumstances. So, <laughs> thanks for joining me this morning. I hope that you all are nice and warm. Yes, definitely. Well, great. Well, uh, you know this topic is uh, unfortunately it's kind of near and dear to my heart. And uh, being a child of a divorced family uh, at a young age. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it is what it is, right? We all have to deal with different things in life, whether we like to or not. But there is a term that is, has come out that I have heard recently that is called a child-centered divorce. Shelly, can you explain this to me? Like, give me the, the, the fifth grade level here. What is child-centered divorce? What does it mean? Well, it's, you know, first and foremost, kind of what it sounds like, it's focusing on the child during the divorce process. And as a family law attorney, all too often the focus is not on the kids of the divorce, but it's making an intentional choice by the parents to say, hey, I'm not focused on winning or losing or getting revenge or getting justice. 
I'm really going to focus on what's best for my kids. And a lot of times that means kind of being the bigger person sometimes and saying, I'm going to let go of the past and really look at the future so I can protect my kids from this process and do the least amount of damage to them. Um, You know, it's often staying out of court. It's minimizing conflict. It's not putting the kids in the middle. So it means not talking bad about your spouse in front of the kids and realizing that the kids need a good, positive relationship with both of you and to see that the parents can get along. Because one of the most damaging things in the divorce is the children experiencing the parental conflict. Um, So all of those things and both parents all the way through the divorce process really looking at what's best for the kids. And sometimes that means a parent has to say, you know, I came in saying I want 50-50 with my kids. I want half the time, and I'm, you know, a parent too. But sometimes it means saying I haven't been the primary parent or my job doesn't allow me to have 50-50 time, and what's best for them is to be with the parent who has been caring for them most of the time. And to step back and really say, you know, what's best, what have they been doing, what's the least disruption to their life. Um, and it, it takes some parents who, again, you have to be willing to look at the kids first and let go of some of your own emotions, which is very difficult. Um, but really, if you focus on the kids, it can be done. Well, it, it, uh, it, I mean, you hit one nail on the head for sure. It's very difficult no matter who you are in that situation. Uh, it is just a difficult situation for sure. And, and, and Dana, I, I'm sure that you, you've got some insight for us as well. Why, why do we need to be looking at things in a child-centered way? One way to think about it is, I mean, even in the best of circumstances, divorce is hard for children. It's a huge adjustment, and they don't have adult-level coping mechanisms or an understanding of what's even really happening. So it's up to the parents to keep the environment as stable as possible to help them move through that process and through that transition as they adjust and accumulate to what's happening. Um, When people allow bitterness and anger or being right or winning rule, um, that does a lot of harm to children's mental health. Um, it can be a confusing time, and so that distress can really weigh on children. And again, they don't have the resources or coping mechanisms to manage that well. Well, and unfortunately, in a situation such as divorce, usually the adults don't typically have the coping mechanisms that they need to be able to deal with this thing <laughs> in a productive true. manner either. Um, you, you know, I, I mean, I. Unfortunately, divorce is kind of like cancer. There's, there's not anybody alive today that doesn't know somebody who's dealt with it. And, you know, as a child, that as my parents got divorced, I was six years old. And, you, you know, I'm glad to hear that we're at least trying to look at things to help, to help our kids, um, to help our kids be... I guess, better or, or well, more adjusted through this process, no matter what, it's a difficult process. It's always going to be difficult. Um, but just knowing that, unfortunately, you know, far too many times, this is still, unfortunately, dealing with the emotions and the hurt and the anger of the two adults. And, and so, I thank you, ladies, both for talking about this, and, and I'm glad that we're able to talk about it this morning because the only thing that that's doing is just making a bad situation worse, and and the people that are affected the most by it are going to be the children that are involved in this type of situation. 
So, uh, again, thank you, ladies, both. Shelly, I, I do. Would you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about you, your law background, uh, in, in the name of your practice? Uh, yes, I, I practice with Breeding Carter. It's a firm that I started in 2008. Um, you know, I went to UT and then UT Law, and I had, I had no intentions of going family law. Um, it kind of fell in my lap when an attorney left and I needed to cover some hearings at a firm that I was at then. And I really could see the difference in helping people. Um, and part of my law practice has always been helping people when they're in a bad situation. Uh, they need an attorney a lot of times, and it's walking them through that. And now, you know, I've done family law since around 2007, and I, I really enjoy it. And people are like, how do you enjoy divorce? And it's, well, it's helping educate people. It's helping get people through the process. And often it's protecting kids and getting kids where they need to be um, and helping parents understand. Uh, always in my consultations, when there's kids involved, I ask, is there someone that the kids can talk to? You know, do they have a counselor at school? Mm -hmm. Do they have a therapist? Do they have a trusted person at church? And, and it's making sure that while you get people out of a bad situation, because oftentimes before a divorce, it's a bad situation, um, that they're getting to the best possible situation. So, you know, that's what my mm -hmm. practice uh, focuses on. A lot of the attorneys at my firm do divorce and also um, dependency and neglect proceedings in juvenile court that involve child abuse and things of that nature. We do other things, but family law is a large part of my practice. Got you. Well, thank you again so much for what you do. Um, we are unfortunately up against a break, but when we come back, Dana, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Uh, that way you are prepared. But uh, we thank you guys for listening to us this morning, joining in, and uh, we will be right back here on Around the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. <clears throat> I am Scott Brokamp, your host this morning. And we are speaking about, well, a very heartfelt situation in my life, and that is divorce. Uh, as we discussed when we came into the show this morning, uh, January is becoming a uh, known as Divorce Month, un unfortunately. And I'm speaking with a couple of professionals here that, uh, well, we're looking at it from the aspect of how can we help this process for all involved, including the children. I have Shelly Breeding from Breeding Carter Law and Dana Vince from Healing Hearts Counseling. Um, ladies, thank you so much again for joining me this morning. And before we left the first segment, uh, Shelly was telling us about how she got into family law. And, uh, well, Dana, tell us a little bit about you in Healing Hearts Counseling and how did your journey take you to where you're at today? I've always been interested in counseling couples, and I've been counseling couples in um, private practice since 2006, and my practice has grown. And, you know, the majority of my practice is spent trying to help couples resolve conflict and heal their marriage and stay together. But oftentimes I do um, counsel couples through the divorce process. Um, because the better that they can resolve their emotions around divorcing, the better it is for their children. Um, so sometimes I do counseling on helping them co-parent together and move and transition through that divorce process to a healthier place for the whole family. Well, I thank you so much for what you do. Um, I, there's just 
there needs to be more. <laughs> there needs to be more. In the world we live in today, I think we all need a little extra help. Uh, so uh, I definitely, I so appreciate what you do. Um, so as we, we discussed in, in the first segment, we were talking child-centered divorce. Um, so I guess for both of you, what are, what are some co-parenting issues um, divorcing couples should consider before a permanent, I guess a permanent partnering plan is, is put in place? What are, what are the things that are most important to discuss and that we all need to make sure that we're, I guess, on the same page with? I'd like to just echo what Shelley said that, you know, what, what were the children's situation before the divorce? Um, you know, who's the, who's the primary caretaker? What home were they, you know, what, who's going to stay in the marital home? Trying to keep the situation as similar to what the children are familiar with, like where they go to school. I think those are all really important considerations in deciding how you're going to um, put the parenting plan in place. And I always, I always tell my clients, you know, when we're looking at a permanent parenting plan, it has the day-to-day schedule. It also has summers and, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving, all the holidays. And what do, they, what do the kids do? You know, some cases the kids go to the grandparents' house for two weeks. So we want to make sure that that's in there. Um, some cases, you know, they go to the mother's family on Christmas Eve and the father's family on Christmas Day. Well, then we need to try to keep that for the kids' sake and you don't have to fight to try to win that you get Christmas Day every year. It's trying to keep it as similar as similar for them as you can. Um, and then in the, the permanent parenting plan, there's an other section, and that's where we put all kinds of random things that are very specific to your kids. And that can be things like not introducing a new romantic partner until you've dated someone for you know at least six months or a year or whatever that may be. And those those kind of provisions of what is important to you and your your family, and how do you want to protect your kids in the future from from new relationships, and how do you introduce them to that, and what does that look like? Yeah, and again, going through this this process myself as a kid, you know, it, I mean, one thing as I grow as I have grown up, I have become to understand and realize that, you know what, my parents were hurting through this situation as well. Um, it, it wasn't easy for them either. And, and so I, I to me, I, I think one of the hardest parts and I, and, and I'm kind of hearing a little bit of what you're saying through here is that one of the main things that has to happen is, is even though that it's a splitting relationship or a dividing relationship, you still have got to figure out ways to communicate to make sure that your your ultimate goal is to yes you need to move on but you have children involved and and making sure those children still have the needs that are are necessary for them to be able to grow and continue to having healthy lives is is the most important thing. Uh, absolutely, I, and every parenting plan by default has on it that neither parent will speak negatively or make any derogatory comments about the other one. Uh, and I try to point that out to all my clients that that's automatically part of it. Um, and they need to remember that. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously that can be difficult. Ahead, it is especially important um, to keep the children in focus when you're making the parenting plan, what is in their best interest and in trying to set aside, you know, selfish interests of each parent. 
it, so Dana, I'm going to ask you one, uh, and we kind of touched on it, but the the parents' conduct during the separation, how how does that make an impact on the kids, and what can parents do about it to make this is, uh, I guess, the most easy transition as possible. You know, the kids are always watching. They're always listening. Um, so how you talk about each other, how you talk to each other has an enormous impact. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that the child identifies with each parent as a person themselves. So if you talk negatively about their other parent, they're going to hear that about themselves. So it's really important mm-hmm. to, you know, hold in your mind that this is my child's father, this is my child's mother, and I always want to treat that person as such. And sometimes it can help to think of it that way. It's not my ex-partner, it's my child's parent. And that can help just Mm. keep you centered in not allowing bitterness or raw emotions to come out in front of your children that do really impact um, how they feel about themselves and also their alliance with each parent. You really want to support their relationship with the other parent. If there's um, that emotional split, the child can feel guilty if they are connected to one parent when they're with the other parent, like they're supposed to, you know, feel bad about their dad or feel bad about their mom to be on the other parent's side. And that's a horrible position for children to be in. So it's just really important to talk highly of each other, respect each other um, at all times in front of your children. Mm-hmm. And. Shelly, I'm I'm gonna kind of ask this question, but I, from your end of it, obviously you're trying to help one of the parents on a legal side of things. Uh, it sounds like you you learn a lot from Dana to be able to help with your clients through that process, because and it sounds to me like you you spend a lot of time working with your client and not just handling the legality of, of the process. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I try to, um, you know, obviously I have some clients who want to fight and want to have conflict and go to court. And that's what I do. And, and we do that in some cases, but I try when there's kids involved to always remind them of, you know, think about your kids. And I, I tell my clients, like, get a therapist, get a counselor. You may not be the counselor or therapist forever, but, through this process, you need someone to talk to to help you um, figure out how to handle this, how to handle your relationship with the kids, how you handle the kids when different things come up. But yes, I mean, I'm a mom of two boys and very cognizant of the fact of the kids are going to be affected and remind my clients that while you're fighting this divorce right now, it's going to have an impact on your relationship with your kids forever. Uh, and they need to think about that. It's not just about winning or losing in court. It's about how do you protect your kids and how do you have the best relationship and set them up for success in life um, and having the least damage from this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I guess both of you ladies, uh, Dana, you in particular, I, I mean, obviously there has been um, the thought process of how, children are, are looked at in, in in the divorce process has obviously changed over the years. Um, it, and how do you, I guess, how do you help with your clients to kind of understand and change their focus to the kids? And, and how do you think this is going to change as we grow forward? 
Um, when I'm working with a couple transitioning through divorce, first and foremost, the, our focus actually isn't on the kids. It's on them healing their emotional trauma, resentments from all this so that that is not bleeding over into their parenting. So the better they can move through and come to a place of acceptance and peace around the divorce, the better they'll be able to collaborate with each other. It's sort of how do we move from a divorcing couple into a sort of collaborative, friendly co-parents with each other. And that can be a difficult transition, but it requires them to heal from the divorce. I've, I've worked with um, remarried couples who are having marital stress because of ex-spouses years after the divorce that are still having impact on the family as a whole. So that healing process, owning your own healing process through the divorce is so important to not have that carry on for years and impact how children fare in all of that. Hopefully that just continues as we evolve. Man, we hope, right? (laughs) You know, we have, we evidence have shown, we have learned some things from our mistakes in past and and we are trying to do better. Um, But, you know, I mean, and that's exactly the main point is that a lot of times the the lashing out or the, the, the actions and behaviors of the parent are strictly that they are just the the hurt and pain and the difficulties that they're having going through the situation um and, and so it I, i'm so glad that you know you mentioned that 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 focus is is trying to create that healing and and just that okay draw that that line in the sand per se to be able to go forward and say you know it this is what we're dealing with and we have to figure out how to deal with it in a healthy way and and deal with how my feelings are being affected in in my part of this so that we are going to be able to create at least a healthy environment moving forward so um again i thank you ladies so much for what you do is so important in our world today uh we are up against a break but when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, some of the uh, some of the things that sometimes are court ordered, or maybe some things that are helpful if you're uh, dealing with these types of processes. So, uh, thank you again for listening, and we will be right back here on Around the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk ninety eight seven WOKI. Well, welcome back to Around the House. Well, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but. My friend Ben Kathy there, he uh, his voice sounded a little strained uh, when he was telling us about the weather. I can just, I know our week's been rough. I can just imagine how his has been, you know, as we hopefully dig out from this winter weather land that we are in. Please just keep in mind, keep in mind those that are out there working tirelessly to keep us informed and to try to help dig us out and keep us going. Um, during this time as well. So um, thank you all for joining us this morning. We are talking about the sensitive subject of divorce. Uh, It is a reality and it does need to be talked about. My guests this morning are Shelly Breeding from Breeding Carter Law and Dana Vince from Healing Hearts Counseling. Um, Thank you guys both for joining me so much this morning. Uh, I, I just, you know, as I have mentioned time and time again, this is a topic that is, is near and dear to me being a, uh, a child of a divorced family. 
Um, I, I just I know how how some steps probably could have been handled a little differently in my life uh, had been given more information. And uh, I, so I just thank you that you both are very much so uh, vested in doing your best um, to, well, to just to help families as we go through these situations. So um, I know, Shelly, sometimes we get, there's going to be things that are court ordered, some steps that are, are required to do. And I I, kinda, I can only imagine your position that sometimes that's difficult. You may have to let, let a client know that, listen, you're going to have to do these things. But what are some things that, that you see that are being mandated or required uh, as folks go through these situations? Well, for many years now, all parents going through a divorce have to take a parenting education seminar. And it's a class. Some courts require the four-hour class, and some courts require a 12-hour class. Now, I tell my clients, you're not going to learn everything you need to know about co-parenting in a divorce in four hours or 12 hours, but it's a first step. And, and a lot of my clients really enjoy the class and learn things from it, um, but it's required, and they get a certificate, and we have to submit it to the court to show that they've done it. Um, also, it's required if there's a divorce with minor children that they wait at least 90 days for the divorce to be final. Um, so there is a, there's a longer waiting period. If there's not kids, it's 60 days. And then every case in Tennessee, every divorce case has to go to mediation. And most courts, although it varies from court to court, county to county, and even within Knox County, but most courts require mediation before they were even here a temporary parenting plan. And that's the kind of day-to-day schedule and holidays while the divorce is pending is the temporary parenting plan. And then at the final divorce, you have a permanent parenting plan, although never really permanent. It can be changed in the future sometimes. Um, but you have a temporary parenting plan. Most judges require us to go to mediation before that. Um, so those are sort of the, the minimal requirements that, that you have to do. And, again, I usually encourage my clients. There's a lot of different books, you know, depending on their circumstance, to, to read books. And, like I said, have a counselor or a therapist for them and for the kids. Uh, to really look at how they're going to adjust, as Dana said, to this transition. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and so through the mediation process, so I, is that where you guys are trying to find a, I, I guess this is going to be the, the emergency plan until things get, uh, I guess, a little more solidified? But yes, a lot of times we end up doing two to two mediations in a divorce a lot of times. Sometimes we only do one, but and I'm a mediator, for instance. The, the Tennessee Supreme Court sets out some requirements to be what they call a Rule 31 mediator, and a mediator is a neutral person. The mediator is not deciding the case. Um, sometimes a mediator will give you his or her recommendations of what they think the judge will do, but they're certainly not deciding it. And both parents go Generally, we do what's called shuttle mediation, so the parents are not together because a lot of times it's a, an emotional event, and sometimes it's easier to have parents in different rooms. And the mediator goes back and forth trying to help the parties negotiate an agreement and pointing out things and asking a lot of questions of, you know, what do your kids do? We're looking at the holidays coming up. What have they done you know, during this time, what, what have they done for spring break? You know, what, what does that look like? Are you working? Are you able to be with them if, if they're with you? 
um, and trying to help work out what, what does that look like temporarily. And then a lot of times we kind of see how that goes for a few months. And then we have another mediation to look at the final um, where we're going, how, how's that going? How's it working? Are you able to do you know, the schedule that we've done? How are the kids reacting to it? How are they adjusting with it? If the kids have a therapist, a lot of times we'll ask the therapist to give us some insight of um, anything that the kids have talked about. If, if the kids agree to share that and they're of such an age that they can tell us those things, you know, what, what do they like? What do they not like? What's been stressful for them so that we can tweak it and, and have a better permanent parenting plan for the kids? All right. You know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember there was a time that uh, they would actually ask the kid, what parent would you like to be with? And, you know, I, I, that's always baffled me. I'm so glad that there is uh, a lot more of a professional plan in place now than, than what there used to be. So, well, I, so, I, and this goes to both of you. Um, so what happens when you're, you're, maybe one parent is trying to do a child-centered divorce or a child-centered plan and the other parent is unwilling to cooperate or you come up to obstacles there. What are some things that you guys can do to help with that? I'll start by just saying, you know, while it's ideal for both parents to be cooperating, at the end of the day, a child just needs one. Research shows that children just need one strong attachment figure to turn into a healthy, stable individual. So I would just say regardless of what the other parent is doing, you can still just take the high road, focus on having a strong, healthy bond with your child, doing your best to support your child's relationship with the other parent, um, just doing you know what you know to be right in the situation, and don't get too wrapped up in what the other parent is doing and let that take you down a bad path. Mm. And that, mm. that mirrors what I tell my clients, the only person they can control is themselves. And, um, you know, they can control their behavior and, and do what's right. And I've seen it time and time again that the children understand who has um, taken the high road and who has supported them and done all the things right. And, you know, as the children get older, they, they as Dana said earlier, they hear things, they see things, they realize what's going on, and it's going to impact a long-term relationship, in my opinion, and I'm not the counselor here, Dana is, but it's what I've seen, <laughs> and, and taking, you know, taking that high road, the, the kids will appreciate that later, that they didn't say negative things, and that they, you know, tried to protect them, and that they tried to keep them out of the conflict. I really see it play out time and again. Well, it, and obviously, kids are, kids are way more intelligent than we give them credit for. Um, as a dad of two young girls, I totally, uh, I agree with that statement a million times, but so Dana, I'm just going to ask, so it, it, what, at what age do you think that the child really starts to get the awareness of that, uh, of, of the parent that has taken the high road or when they start to really kind of start figuring that out, is there an age range that this usually typically happens? You know, I think it's like you said, children are smarter than we give them credit for. So if they're a young age, they may feel it and see it and not know how to process it. So they're still being impacted by it. But I'd say probably pre-adolescence, teenage years, they're going to start to formulate their own opinions about their parents and how their parents behave. 
And as Shelley said, it's going to really long-term start to affect the relationship. If they recognize a parent kind of goes down an ugly path, that's going to affect their relationship more with that parent than the parent who's taking the high road. Mm. Well, you know, one thing is for certain, Dana, that that teenage years, they're definitely got a lot of opinions. There's no doubt about that. Uh, <laughs> my 13-year-old is, I love her dearly, but boy, she's got great opinions. Uh, <laughs> all right, so... I, I, I'm going to ask because again, I, I'm, I mean, I'm 52 and the way divorce is done now is way different than when I was a kid. Um, I, we hear a lot about co-parenting and, and, and I know of, and my kids go to school with kids that they're at one parent's house for one week and then another parent's house for another week. Um, I'm just thinking, man, how does that work? How do you make that work? Um, Dana, I guess you're probably the best to help with that. Um, you know, I think having access to both parents at all times, whether by phone or FaceTime, so that they know that they can connect with each parent at any time is really important. Um, having as much stability in each home is really important. Um, and even the week on, week off, again, it goes back to um, I'm divorced as well. And when we first divorced, my kids were young, and we did a three-day, four-day switch back and forth because it felt like too long to go a whole week without, without seeing them. Mm. And then it was actually them that decided um, later on, Hey, we want to do week on week off. So we're not transitioning so much. And so that's what we did. So, you know, you, you find what works for your family, for your kids to navigate that best. But I think the most important piece is that they can connect with each parent anytime they want, I think is the biggest mm. factor. Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. I think that is huge. Uh, and I and it, I like what you you shared with us there because communicating with your children during this time, you it is so important to have good conversation with them and and to really understand what their needs are during this time. Like you said, your, your kids at a point came and said, Hey, I think we need to do week on week off and, and helping them work through the transitions to find a good solution. And, and as you both have mentioned that, that, that can change, that can change as time progresses. So um, that is, again, I think none of us could overstress the fact of, making sure that you are having those good conversations and, and learning moments from your kids during these situations as well. Um, we are up against our, our last break here. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some warning signs uh, in our kids. And um, hopefully you guys are, hopefully you're getting some good information today and learning more as I am how we can better benefit our kids during situations that arise in life, whether we like them or not. Hey, we'll be right back here on Around the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. I am Scott Brokamp, your host this morning, founder and co-owner of His Security and Technology. And, well, we are as far away from technology as we can get right now. And I am speaking with Shelly Breeding from Breeding Carter Law and Dana Vince from Healing Hearts Counseling. And 
January is International Child-Centered Divorce Month, and we are, well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, divorce, child-centered divorce, and, well, I I hope you guys listening are getting good information as I am, and and I'm just going to say one of the things I enjoy most when we talk about topics such as divorce uh, or other difficult conversations to have, right? These aren't things that people want to talk about a lot. But one of the things that I enjoy the most is being able to see how we have learned from our past and how through education and through listening and communication, we are finding ways to deal with these situations better than we have in the past. So um, I thank both of you for your part in that because you do play a huge part in that. So thank you uh, both very much. Um, so before we left for break, as I mentioned, one of the things uh, we were going to talk a little bit about some warning signs, warning signs in kids. So Dana, what are some predictable behaviors that you see in children whose parents are divorcing? What are some of the red flags um, should their parents be sensitive of? Um, could be anything from grades dropping, unusual acting out behaviors, um, splitting parents, which is sort of pitting one parent against the other, trying to use the divorce to their advantage. Um, they might withdraw or isolate. Um, they might have some falling out with friends. If they're more in their teenage years, you'd want to watch out for maybe drugs, sexually acting out, lying, things like that. And one thing I want to note is sometimes there might be a delayed impact. You know, they they might not um, show behaviors right away. It could come a year later, two years later, as they start to process the the trauma a little differently. And things may come up, and so you might see behaviors later on. Oh, that uh, yeah, it's not always instant. That's for sure. All right. So for both of you, um, how how can adults be good parents to their kids while going through the divorce process? I think number one is, you know, as Dana was talking earlier, remember that the other person is your child's mother or father and that you're not talking negatively about him or her in front of the kids at any point. Um, I think another thing is making sure that your kids have the support that they need, not just from you, but from other professionals, as I said earlier, and as you know, Dana was saying, you know, acting out in school or following grades, oftentimes my clients have school-age kids. They need to tell their kid's teacher, we're going through a divorce. Um, you know, I know people don't always want to air that out, but I think the teachers need to know so that they can watch out for the kids and, and look for any of those warning signs. They certainly see it in kids whose parents are divorcing. But making sure that the parents have alerted those people who can help watch out for their kids. Um, And then I think being there for the kids and not talking to them about the divorce process. The kids don't need to be drug into the divorce process and know, oh, we have a court hearing or we have mediation. But listening to the kids about what they're feeling and what they're going through and answering their questions if they have questions um, in an age-appropriate way, depending on how old they are. But certainly being there to listen to them and and what they're feeling and what they need at any point during the process. Dana, how about you? You got anything you want to add to that? Sure. I want to echo what Shelly is saying. It's so important to listen. But also, um, 
it can be helpful to share with them what is normal for them to be feeling. Um, kids don't always have words for what they're feeling. So mm. providing them some words can be really helpful and helping them understand what's normal. And the other thing I want to say is if the kids are acting out, um, sometimes parents can move toward discipline, but it's really important to connect with your children and understand where the behavior is coming from, because when kids don't have a way to express what they're feeling, sometimes they do it through acting out. And if we go straight toward discipline, it can actually make it worse um, rather than actually listening and tuning in and connecting with what our kids are experiencing and helping them find different ways to cope. Mm, that great information for sure. Um, Shelly, Dana, thank you both so much for joining us this morning. Um, Shelly, I'm going to start with you. How can our listeners contact you if they need your help or services? Yeah, the, the easiest thing is my website is breedinglaw.com, which is B-R-E-E-D-I-N-G law, L-A-W, or my office number is 865 865- Six seven zero eight five three five. And Dana, and for you? Yeah, sure, Scott. I, I just want to quickly say thank you so much for having me on. This has been really enriching, and I hope it's provided people a lot of great information. Um, as Shelley said, my easiest way is my website as well, um, marriagecounselingknoxville.com. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Healing Hearts Counseling. And my office number is 865-283-1777. And Scott, yes, thank you so much. This is um, really an opportunity for us. And I really appreciate you talking to your listeners about your experience and going through it and helping them understand how we might make it better for kids. Well, absolutely. And as you both know, we could uh, we could do multiple hours um, with his show uh, on this topic. And, um, and of course, uh, you know, again, with this, this topic is near and dear to my heart. Um, And and I just want if anybody's listening, who's going through this process right now, know there is help. There are people who can help you through this uh, and just know that no matter what, it's not the end of the world and we're all going to get through it, but we all need to be able to work together, obviously for the betterment of our kids. And that's for the betterment of us as well. So just remember that. Um, Again, thank you both for being here this morning. Uh, Real quick. I want to wrap out with our topic of the day and well, what else would it be other than weather emergencies? What's everybody talking about this week? The weather, right? Snow, single-digit temperatures, making it hard for folks to get around. Hats off to everyone who's working to clear the roads, respond to emergencies, and keep the power grid up and running. A special thank you to the churches and ministries around Knoxville who are saving lives by offering a meal and a warm place to sleep for people on the streets. Sadly, Marty Baker, who runs CareCuts of Knoxville, posted on social media that one of her clients died of hypothermia this week. CareCuts was on our show in December. Her friend Linda was homeless and had no no transportation to get to a warming center. People who know Linda are heartbroken over how she passed away. But it doesn't have to be that way. Knoxville has three warming centers that are serving hundreds of meals each day. However, they're running low on food and essential items. If you can donate either groceries or prepared meals or sleeping bags, men's and women's underwear, socks, towels, toiletries, or bottled water, 
The shelter is at Magnolia Avenue United Methodist and Vestal United Methodist and Cokesbury Church could use some help. Just take your donations directly to the shelter locations. Also, the Vestal and Magnolia Avenue locations are short on volunteers, so, well, while you're there, ask if they have anything you can do to help out. We'll be back with more after the break. I'm Scott Brokamp, and you're listening to Around the House on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. If you're just joining us here in the second hour, man, you you missed a uh, some great conversation in the first hour um, talking about one of those topics that nobody wants to talk about, divorce. But it happens, and, man, I had some great folks this morning. Uh, Shelly and Dana this morning were helping us find ways that we can deal with these issues in a healthy, productive way. My name is Scott Brokamp, founder and co-owner of His Security and Technology, locally owned and operated right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. As we heard Mr. Ben Cathy uh, squeak out, he sounds like he's had a rough week. It uh, Well, it's not going to get much warmer today or, or tomorrow, but hey, there is good news on the horizon. It is going to warm up next week. Of course, like the rest of you, I am, well, I'm enjoying the confines of my home because it's just not really good to get out. In fact, folks have been struggling to try to get out of my neighborhood all week long. So hopefully you are safe and warm, and thank you for listening in this morning. We certainly do appreciate it. If you need something to do today, I would highly suggest don't go out, but... Our Tennessee Vols are taking on Alabama at home today at the Food City Center. Tip-off is at 2 p.m., so if you can safely get out, please go and support them. I know the game is sold out. Campus roads and parking lots are clear, but you do need to use direction getting out of your own neighborhood to get there. Uh, You can also enjoy the game on our sister station, WIVK, the flagship station of the Vol Network. For all events happening around town today, go to visitknoxville.com or check out wvlt.tv for the latest closings and cancellations. Again, in the first hour, we talked with attorney Shelley Breeding and family counselor Dana Vince about the impact of divorce on children. If you missed that conversation, it will be posted on my website. Just go to hissecurity.com and look for the ATH radio link in the navigation bar. And this hour of Around the House, well, we're talking about our pets. January is also National Train Your Dog Month. It's a time when trainers, dog owners, and canine experts come together to celebrate their love for their furry friends by sharing what they know. My next guests are from Zoom Room, a dog training and socialization center in Hardin Valley. Rachel Neubauer started Zoom Room a couple of years ago. She's a dog lover with lots of experience in animal behavior at zoos and human society, humane societies in Nebraska. And now she's living in Knoxville, where she joins us by phone. Also on the phone is one of Rachel's dog trainers, Sharon Short. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Good morning, Good morning. Scott. <laughs> yeah, thank you for uh, having us, Scott. It's good to be here. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So glad that you guys were able to kind of adjust a little bit this morning. I know uh, I know, by phone is not always the easiest and funnest way to do this, but uh, thank you ladies very much for being here and joining us 
this morning. So uh, the Zoom room, <laughs> I love the name of it. So let's talk about Zoom room, the background, and, well, what do you guys do? So the name actually comes from how dogs get the Zoomies. So they run around and they act all happy and have lots of fun. And background-wise, it's a franchise um, started in Culver City, California, and we are the first one here in Tennessee. So it's been growing and expanding, and we're happy to provide to the uh, county of Knoxville. We are all positive reinforcement, (laughs) so we basically use lots of treats and praise. Uh, do you have one of these for humans? Oh, I'm sorry, that's probably not right. Uh, you probably get asked that a lot, actually, don't you? Yeah, so our motto is basically we don't train dogs, we train the people who love them. So we're very education forward on making sure owners can observe and learn about how to train their pets. And we use a redefined direct, reinforce, and repeat. So we're not asking for behaviors to stop. We're asking to replace a behavior. So if you have a dog that's jumping on you, we'll redirect. And then we're reinforcing for a different behavior. So they make the association that the bad behavior is not getting rewarded and Mm -hmm. this other behavior is being rewarded. So I, I want to back up to to one of your points was that you you don't train dogs that you train the people who love them. Um, so obviously one of the things that I from having dogs over the years in my own life, um, man, dogs are they're a lot like people. They really they follow the behaviors that we kind of give them and and lead them to, don't they? Exactly. Uh, I, I know from, uh, again, from my experiences that one of the hardest things was um, when when I would get excited, my dogs, they would, have, they would feed off that energy. They would know when I was excited, and then that would make them excited. Um, one of my breeds was... Uh, it was known to be more of an aggressive type of dog, which my dog wasn't aggressive, but the thing would be is that when I would become excited, they would become excited. So I think it's important for people to understand, right, that, that our animals, as even as we were talking in the first segment, like with our children, they feed off of our energy. They feed off of who and how we operate in are. So um, I, what are some of the things that you do to, well, help train the people to be better for their dogs. So um, picking up on, like, body language cues and stuff when you're training because dogs are really in tune to our body language. They can pick up verbal cues and stuff, but um, like you said, they pick up on our energy, too. So if you're holding your shoulders a certain way or you tense up, literally just like an millisecond like they can feel that and they will kind of respond to that so basically 
how we train people to train their dogs is educating on what their dogs are basically saying. Are they getting frustrated? Are they not picking up on a certain thing? Do we need to scale it back to make it easier and kind of break it down and kind of building it to be a win-win situation and build that success? So, uh, Sharon, I'm, I'm just going to ask you, is there a, uh, is there a favorite thing that you like to train people to do? <laughs> that's, that's a tough question. Um, because <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful to see when people begin training their dogs and, um, they start to realize that, that they can now communicate. There's a way to communicate with your with your beloved mm-hmm. pet, um, it's a wonderful thing to watch and to see. I uh, very much enjoy working with older dogs, uh, people that have older dogs or senior pets, because so many people believe that senior pets can't learn anything, you know, right? Old dogs can't learn new tricks, but that's actually not true. Um, I actually very much love even just the very beginnings of obedience um, and watching someone you know, be in there with their pet and see them achieve things that they didn't think their dog can do quickly. Mm. Um, People just are amazed that their dog can do this. They're thinking, I've had this dog for eight years. He's never done that before. Um, So like Rachel was kind of touching on, once you start learning how to be in touch with with your pet, amazing things can happen. And I absolutely love to see that happen. Oh, that is so awesome. Well, and then they are, right? Uh, our dogs are very intelligent, and usually we can they can learn things very quickly. So, uh, well, hey, we are up against our first break here. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some tips for adopting, adopting a dog, and some things that you may need to know or look at. Again, I'm speaking with Rachel Neubauer, owner of Zoom Room Dog Training here in Hardin Valley, and dog trainer Sharon Short, also from the Zoom Room. We will be right back here on the Round the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. I'm Scott Brokamp, founder and co-owner of His Security Technology, your host this morning, I'm speaking with Rachel Neubauer, owner of Zoom Room Dog Training in Hardin Valley, and dog trainer Sharon Short. Um, ladies, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking as as this wonderful whistling came on. I used to whistle a lot to my dog all the time. Whistling is uh, has been known to be a good tool for for working with our animals, and we may talk about that later. But first. Let's talk about adopting a dog because there is a lot more that goes into it other than going to your local humane society or wherever you may be going and finding that pup that you just feel like you look into his eyes and melted and just decide it's time to take that puppy home. There's a lot that goes into this. So, um, Sharon, I'm going to start with you. What are some things that we need to look at about when we look at adopting a dog? Um, honestly, Scott, I think the the very 
most basic and most important place to start is doing a little bit of research. Um, Unfortunately, lots of dogs that get adopted end up being returned. And that's really, really hard. It's hard on the shelter. uh, It's hard on the dog. um, And it's hard on the person who's just, you know, trying to adopt a dog and then they might get discouraged and think, you know, what was I thinking? I don't know what happened. Um, It's important to realize that different dog breeds have different proclivities. (laughs) You might say, well, I just wanted a dog that would curl up and and lay on my lap and watch TV. So um, that's not what I got. Well, the first thing you want to do is start researching breeds. Um, What breeds tend to act a certain way, have certain needs? Um, You have to look at your household and your life. You're trying to bring a pet into your life. And the goal, of course, is to have uh, a well-adjusted animal that you can uh, do the things that you like to do. So if you're a person who's kind of more of a stay-at-home, curl-up, read-a-good-book, you probably want uh, some type of a breed that's calm, that doesn't require um, a great deal of outdoor activity and, you know, physical activity. Um, If you're somebody who hikes um, the trails, you might want a larger breed dog that you can take with you. They can keep up with, you know, your rigorous outdoor, you know, uh, activities. So it's important, really important to start by doing research and really look into breeds, uh, find out what kind of a breed will work for what you are expecting your dog to do and how you're expecting Mm. your dog to live. And then there's, There's the financial consideration. Um, You look at certain breeds of dogs or certain types of dogs that require a great deal of grooming, um, brushing and expensive, you know, haircuts and things. And you think, oh, I didn't realize that this was necessary. I can't afford this. Or or worse, you end up neglecting the the dog's needs because you can't Mm -hmm. afford it. Um, Big dogs eat more food. (laughs) Little dogs eat less food. So there are so many things that you really want to think about that matter um, when you're adopting. And I think that's, that's definitely step one. Mm. Well, and, and regardless of where you're at in that, once, once you make that adoption, well, you need to make sure to get in touch with Rachel so that, well, you can sign up for some classes (laughs) at the zoom room, right? Uh, (laughs) Rachel. So uh, same question to you. What are, what are some tips? What are some pointers that we need to consider as far as that adoption process? So when you adopt a dog, you want to be aware that it's going to take some time for them to adjust. Um, it's a new environment they're coming into. They're, they don't know this new space. They're getting used to everything new around them, new people, new smells, new environment. So it takes three days for them to kind of come down from that, like, getting adjusted to the change three months for them to kind of settle into your routine and then um, three months till they're fully adjusted to your routine and you fall into like they're fully adjusted and situated into the home. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's, that's a, a very important part of this, right? Is that you, I mean, those first few days, if you've ever adopted uh, any type of pet, man, those first few days is crazy for everybody. Um, you know, you're especially with a dog, you're trying to love, love, love. And, and man, you got to understand this. You just brought this 
this dog from a new environment into a different environment. And it's a huge adjustment. It is definitely a huge adjustment <clears throat> for our pets and animals um, at that time. And, and, and again, as, as Rachel said, you know, but three months to start to kind of get in a routine and learn the routine. Um, I mean, I know even with me, with having pets, that one of the routines, especially if it's a puppy, is sleeping. Uh, my sleep was definitely affected a lot of times by my puppy because, again, they're trying to adjust and, and they have needs that are going to need to be taken care of. Uh, and so I, I think that's an important piece to, to make sure that you're aware of. Um, it, R- Rachel, Sharon, I guess to both of you, um, what is what do you both feel is the number one thing that families should consider before making that adoption? Well, I, I think that it's a, if you have a family, you need to get your whole family involved. Um, it's really important that everybody kind of understands and what Rachel's talking about with the rule of three, um, the three days, those three days are essential. Everybody has to be very patient. And like you were saying, Scott, this is a new environment, right? The dog is not, has no idea what's, what's going on. And it's, it's hard to decompress. They might not even eat or drink for the first three days. Um, you know, they might shut down, they might hide, um, so if your whole family's involved and everybody kind of understands what to look for, um, I think that will kind of help that transition to the second three, which is the three weeks. Um, and three weeks is about how long it takes for them to understand that new routine. And if everybody's pitching in and everybody's being consistent, um, that, you know, will really help your dog, whether it's a puppy, whether it's a, you know, a, an adolescent dog or whether it's a senior dog. You know, those, the behaviors that they're seeing is how they're deciding how they're going to fit into their new home. Um, in my opinion, in that three weeks, you really want to be paying attention, right? You're going to be um, paying attention to all of the behaviors that you see and how the dog is, is settling in. And about at that one-month mark, that's a great time to get started on your training, Um by the three months, like we were saying, that's about when your dog is starting to feel completely at home, starting to understand the established routine. But you can go ahead and get your training started in about four weeks and start working on building the trust and building your dog's confidence um, and, and teaching them owner focus, which is the goal behind uh, dog mm-hmm. training. Yeah, well, and and really, I mean, a couple of things, as you mentioned, consistency. Consistency is always one of the main keys um, to that, to the health of you and your pet. Um, But, you you know, I I like what you say when you talk about at that one-month mark about getting involved, getting in that training, because it is, it's building that trust in, in your, you know, I mean, let's face it, like any relationship, it takes time to build that trust and companionship. And, and when you're working with, uh, obviously a pet to establish the roles essentially that are required for a healthy living environment for both of you, um, being able to go and do something like training together with you and your pet 
just helps reinforce that. You're building, uh, you're building some healthy boundaries for you and your pet. And well, and at the same time, you're, you're helping to make a conducive environment for the long haul, uh, for you and your pet as well. So I, I, that's, you know, I, I know we all think about having that new puppy and just, you know, love, love little puppy kisses, but there's, there is a lot that we need to do to make sure that we're setting a good foundation, um, for that. Rachel, um, do you, I want to ask about some things for, for you guys down to zoom room and we'll, we'll get into some, uh, um, into the next segment about some socialization things, but, uh, obviously with ages of, of the dogs, do you have different classes or different, um, training tracks that you look at for, as age specific with, with the dogs? Absolutely. So we offer both group and private trainings, and we offer everything from puppy obedience and also some fun classes, tricks and agility. And we also put a focus on making it a fun time and creating kind of social events for people and their puppies to kind of get to know the dog-loving community, make some friends for themselves and their pups. And we actually have a doggy disco coming up this Friday for the pups to make some dog friends and the people to make some friends as well. I love it. Doggy disco. Well, we got to make sure that the owners are trained to make sure that they're a good designated driver because we definitely don't want our dogs driving after going to the doggy disco. Oh, now that just, it just sounds like fun. I'm just going to tell you, um, no matter who you are, if you can't get into a doggy disco, well, uh, you know, I can't help you much from there. Anyway. Well, Hey, we are going to take a short break, but as I mentioned, when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, some socialization for our puppies and our pets. Um, some things to to be able to do and how to work through that a little bit more. Again, my guest this morning, Rachel Neubauer, owner of Zoom Room Dog Training. You can find them at zoomroom.com forward slash location forward slash Knoxville, or you can just go to zoomroom.com. You can um, search by location there. And then also we have Sharon Short, who is a dog trainer at Zoom Room Dog Training as well. We'll be right back talking about socialization of our pups and dogs when we continue here on Around the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. I am your host, Scott Brokamp, and I am speaking this morning with Rachel Neubauer, owner of Zoom Room Dog Training here in Arden Valley, and Sharon Short, who is a dog trainer. Uh, good morning, ladies. Thank you again so much for joining me and your flexibility and, well, adjusting to uh, doing a phone interview. I know this is, I'm just going to say I'm an, I'm an older person, so I can't tell you the last time I've been on the phone on a continuous phone call this long. Uh, it's bringing back a lot of childhood memories. <laughs> So let's talk about puppies and socialization. What What is socialization in a puppy's world? So socialization is not just meeting 
different dogs and having your dog thrown into all, like, meeting other dogs and people. It's about introducing them and exposing them to the world at their pace. So breaking it down into little bite-sized pieces, you don't want to overwhelm them. You want them to go at their own pace. You want them to build positive associations with the world. So all the different sights, all the different sounds, all the different smells. So taking them to different places, kind of introducing them that way. Um, You don't even have to introduce them face-to-face with dogs, just kind of being in the presence with the dog, kind of on looking in the distance, that socialization. So how, what are some things that people can do to help properly socialize um, their pups? And, and obviously, I mean, there's, there's fears involved for, for our animals as well. How do we better work through that with them? So the socialization period for dogs where you want to socialize them is three to 12 weeks of age. So that's when you want to kind of take them out, expose them to different environments and kind of read into like their body language and stuff and making sure that the experiences they're having are positive ones, that they're not showing any kind of hesitation and stuff. And if they are taking a step back and just, taking it little by little, like, because you can be overwhelmed when you have a lot thrown at you. So just taking it step by step, maybe going to just a different place for like five seconds and then going back home, Um, having them see a dog and then kind of taking them back in and just kind of those little associations and making them a positive experience. And the time periods you want to be careful when they can, start to develop fears and stuff of things that they might have previously loved. That's, they have two fear periods, which is 8 to 11 weeks and 6 to 14 months. So that's when you kind of want to ease back a little bit. You still want to have those little bit of interactions, but you want to be really careful because that's when they can develop fears and stuff that will carry with them. And it, yeah, it can be anything that they start to show fear, like, things that they previously loved could sometimes be a little startling to them at that point. So just taking it slow, taking it at their pace and kind of making sure that you can introduce those positive associations bit by bit. Sharon, as, as a trainer, what are there a couple specific exercises that you could recommend to folks um, for working through to help socialize our pets and, and working through these fear periods? Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, every dog might not necessarily have a fear period. We don't, you know, you, you don't really know whether it's kind of happening or not until it happens. Um, sure. And if that does happen, you know, don't panic. It's it's okay. It's normal. It's natural for for things like that to happen. But like Rachel said, maybe just to step back a little. It's important to kind of, um, in terms of taking the baby steps, I would say um, the purpose of socialization, obviously, like we said, is to introduce new and novel experiences in a very positive and controlled way. So, for instance, people say, oh, my dog won't get in the car. They're afraid to go anywhere. They won't get in the car. It's a big thing. Well, the only place you've ever taken your dog is the vet. 
Maybe that's why. Mm. So maybe bring your dog out, jump in the car, drive around the block, and come back home. Make it a great experience. Give lots of treats and love. And make, while it's happening, there's positivity, there's happiness, there's treats, there's attention. We want to be um, showing our dog a lot of positivity in the presence of the scary thing. So if your dog is uh, afraid of um, cars driving by and you go out into the yard when the traffic is driving by and then you play a game and you give some treats and you give some love and good things are happening in the presence of the scary car over time and slowly we start to show our dog that it's okay. We're safe in that area, in that environment. Um, The biggest thing is to never, never force it. Never push your dog towards something, especially if your dog previously didn't have a problem with this. They used to just, you know, love being in the grass. And now all of a sudden they're paranoid when they see the grass and they don't want to touch it. Naturally for us, we're like, we just want to put them in the grass and show them that it's okay. Um, And that could have very negative effects, actually. We need to just be patient, allow them to be afraid of it for now, and slowly show positive, you know, reinforcement while they're in the presence of the scary thing until they're able to come back to the conclusion that it's not so bad. Hmm. Well, and I suppose, you know, and again, awareness and consistency are, are key, but, you know, if, if our dog is afraid of, of whatever that scenario is, then, you know, I think it's probably important. We have to try to go back and look and see, did, did we induce some type of fear the last time this situation occurred, um, you, you know, to kind of help work through with that. Um, building confidence, it, obviously, in strengthening you and your dog's bond is is key through these things. Um, so what are what are other things that we can do to help enrich and, and foster this healthy, healthy and happy, well-rounded dog? Uh, obviously, taking them to the doggy disco is a reward, I am sure, for their socialization skills and not where you want to start. <laughs> yeah. So some different things are kind of reading what your dog loves, too. Um, different dogs are going to have different preferences for enrichment and stuff, just like I might like reading a book. Someone else might enjoy just watching a show. Um, so kind of reading what your dog loves, too, whether it be he loves a certain type of food, um, he loves a certain activity, does he love toys, is he not a big toy fan? So you can kind of use that to your advantage. And there's also a lot of enrichment ideas like, Snuffle mats if you have, like, a hound dog that loves to use their nose. Um, if you need, uh, if you have a dog that really likes to use its brain, also using puzzle toys and stuff where they have to work for their food because they're used to forging for their food. So it's kind of giving them the mental stimulation of working their brain. Like, you don't want to do nothing all day, and then it's, kind of just wears you out a little bit. You want to keep that mind active and focus on that. And even training in itself, kind of building that bond and having those fun activities you do together, like going on walks. Um, Yeah. 
Well, and you know, and I know we touched on it a little bit um, in the last segment when we were talking about that adoption process. Uh, and again, I know from my own experience, one of my um, one of my my dogs was uh, like many was a mix, uh, but one of his mix was with Sheltie, and so he, I mean, he was a herd dog. You, I took him outside, and all he wanted to do was run circles around me. And, and so by understanding that of his nature, by understanding that of his breed, knowing that a, he was going to require a lot of activity. He needed to have time to get out and run around, but also knowing that one of his needs was, was to herd. And so we actually would, we would play some games with him to give him that opportunity to herd, which was his natural instinct. And so uh, I, I say all that because identifying and understanding your dog, much like you were just speaking of, is is how you're going to be able to help build confidence. If you have a dog that is, uh, you know, like you say, a, a puzzle-solving type of dog, then we need to do activities that is going to help build their confidence to help strengthen your bond. And it's important that we know as owners uh, how to uh, deploy different scenarios that is going to continue to help foster and enrich our, uh, our relationship with our dog as well. So um, Sharon, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to assume that having that good foster relationship is also going to be a key part of, of, having a well-rounded dog through socialization? Um, Absolutely. You know, it's one of the things I really love about Zoom Room. It's a very interesting um, way of training, I suppose. Um, Of course, I love that it's positive only um, because I don't really enjoy um, (laughs) the outcome of training your dog with fear um, is not really my favorite. Um, I much prefer trust, um, and enrichment, um, and positivity and zoom room. We put together some, uh, workshops. So we want to keep in mind what you just said, for instance, your Sheltie and the needs that, that your dog had for, uh, herding. And we have some, uh, different workshops that we put together for urban herding for uh, scent work, where they learn how to uh, sniff out certain scents, um, literally, pup, you know, puplates, which is like puppy pilates, um, all kinds of fun, extra different types of workshops for specific dogs that have specific needs. Um, and you're right, it's super important for our dogs to be able to kind of have an opportunity to do their natural, instinctual things. Um, and uh, Zoom Room definitely is, uh, is providing some outlets uh, for those things um, by way of those, those workshops. So I'm really excited to start seeing those kind of come to be uh, a little bit more popular. Um, and the mental activity, because again, you know, your dog needed some, I need to get outside, I need to run, I need to stretch my legs. And, you know, our dogs get the Zoomies, 
um, sometimes because they don't have enough mental stimulation. Mental stimulation is just as important as the physical stimulation. 15 minutes of your dog working on a puzzle is equivalent to an hour's worth of physical activity. So think about that. You know, you can tire your pup out by giving them mental work just as much as you can by giving them uh, physical activity. Wow. Now that's, that's pretty awesome right there. Good information for sure. Thank you, Sharon. Hey, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to, we're going to help you to identify some body language and help you be a better advocate for your dog. But in the meantime, if you need to get in touch with Rachel or Sharon, you can get them at 865-378-7200. Email them at hardenvalley at zoomroom.com or find them online at zoomroom.com. Find them under the location of Knoxville. We will be right back here on Around the House with Scott Brokamp on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to Around the House. Well, we are in the home stretch here, our final segment of the show today. I am speaking with Rachel Neubauer and Sharon Short of Zoom Room Dog Training here in Knoxville. They are located in Hardin Valley. You can contact them by phone at 865-378-7200. That's 865-378-7200. You can shoot them an email at hardenvalley at zoomroom.com or go to zoomroom.com and under location, search for the Knoxville location. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This has been just an absolute lovely show. I certainly do appreciate you being able to uh, adjust to our weather conditions and make this a great phone interview. So let's wrap up here a little bit. Um, how can we best be an advocate for our dog? Obviously, you know, dog, our dog's body language is one of our best keys. What are some things that we can do in particular to be that best advocate? Well, first and foremost, we want to keep in mind, you know, some of us own dogs and some of us don't. To be an advocate for, for your dog, you got to be willing to kind of stand up for what you know is, is uh, the safest situation. And, and people often um, see another person with a dog and they want to run up and pet the dog. And, and, um, and please don't be offended when, when the answer is no. Um, because dogs, uh, <laughs> it gets to a point where um, uh, you don't want to be rude. You don't want to say, no, you can't pet my dog. But sometimes dogs can, a dog that's normally got a great disposition, is fun and friendly, um, doesn't want to be approached, and you're not exactly sure how that's going to go. Um, so being an advocate for your dog means to just keep the situation safe. Everyone should be safe. The, the dog, you, and of course the person who's asking, you know, to pet your dog. So let's, let's um, always just try to keep in mind to not be offended if we ask to pet someone's dog and, and the answer is no. Um, there's usually a reason for that. Sometimes the dogs are training or sometimes they are in a fear period. It could be anything, anything at all going on. So that's definitely yeah. one thing I think to keep in mind. Rachel, you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, just you know your dog a lot. You know your dog a lot. So trusting kind of that intuition when 
they're showing signs and being in tune to the body language that your dog is showing so you can know when to say, like, my dog's not having a great time right now, maybe another time. And it doesn't have to just be no. Sometimes you might have to be direct depending on the person, but it can just be no, not right now. Like, my dog is not having the greatest time right now, but I really appreciate you asking something like that. Yeah, I mean that's good information, right? For sure, because not it, it's not always a great time, and um, you know, we I, it seems we live in a world now that people are taking their dogs everywhere, um, and you know, uh, I, I, there's good and bad in that, you know. So um, if, if you're taking your dog out for the first time to Home Depot, we'll know they've got loud beeping noises. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of things that can, can, can be scary. Um, and so, you know, we want to work, work through that. Uh, and again, understanding and, and knowing the body language of your dog. Uh, Sharon, when we talk about body language of our dog, what are, what are a couple of key points to look at? Uh, well, a lot of people don't, even dog owners, don't really understand dog body language. Um, I always uh, highly suggest looking into it if you do have a pet because the the biggest, I think, uh, mistake that people um, make is everybody kind of says, oh, well, if your dog's tail is wagging, he's happy. And that's actually very incorrect. Um, a wagging tail can very much mean that your dog is happy and excited but it could also stand. Uh, it, it could also be your dog showing frustration, um, or fear, or even aggression. Um, and so you think, well, how does that help me? Right, my dog's tail's wagging. How do I know what that means? And so you look at the rest of your dog's body language, just like you would a human being. If uh, if your dog's uh, hackles are raised while their tail is in a very high stiff position, wagging, you know at a crazy speed, that's probably not great. That's not a relaxed state. Um, Look at your dog's posture. If the posture is very tight or crouched down, um, if the eyes look hard, if their ears are down and back, if all of these things are happening together, that's our dog's way of trying to communicate their emotions and their intentions to us. That's how they do that. So that's a warning, and that's maybe a a situation where you would say, okay, we're going to go ahead and remove ourselves from this immediate situation because the dog is clearly feeling uh, stress, anxiety, fear, something uh, along those lines. So we definitely want to pay attention to our dog's body language and how it's, you know, differing from their normal body language. If your dog's tail is normally soft and sweeping when they're happy, and then in a certain situation, your dog's tail is very stiff and hard while it's wagging quickly, you know something's up and that something's different. Right. Awesome. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Again, uh, Rachel Neubauer, owner of Zoom Room Dog Training here in Knoxville, and Sharon Short. You can reach them at 865-378-7200 or go to zoomroom.com and search under locations for Knoxville. If you missed part of today's show and want to go back and listen, there will be a link to the replay on my website. Just go to hitsecurity.com and click on the ATH radio tab to find recordings of past shows. You can also find us where you find your favorite podcast. Just search for Around the House with Scott Brokamp.
I'd like to thank my guests for being on the show today, Attorney Shelly Breeding and Family Counselor Dana Vince. We talked about child-centered divorce in the first hour, and of course, we just wrapped up our conversation with Rachel Neubauer and Sharon Short about dog training on his second hour of Around the House. If there's a topic you'd like to hear featured on the show, drop us a line at thehouse at hissecurity.com. Around the House is produced by News Talk 98.7 with guest coordination services from B Media Savvy. We'll be back next week with another live show where we'll preview the Dogwood Arts House and Garden Show. Thanks for listening today. I hope you get to enjoy some more quality time around the house today.